And welcome into another episode of the What A Rush podcast. I am your host, Joe Roderick. And much like last week, I'm starting off the show solo as, well, uh, Road Warrior Animal has been on the road. It's been really tough the last two weeks since uh, we uh, were together in Minneapolis to get together with Joe's schedule this weekend being at Astronomicon in Detroit, me being up at the Super Bowl, and then turning around this week, uh, not only me being under the weather for most of the week, but also I'm turning around and heading down to Jupiter, Florida for the other job, the radio job next week as well. So Joe and I haven't been able to really get face-to-face much, uh, or if at all, these uh, these past 10 days or so, but that's good because, uh, well, we've had a lot in the can when we were up in Minneapolis. A lot of stories will come next week as well from our time together in the Twin Cities, from uh, what we saw uh, while we were up there, what we did while we were up there, and some of the people that uh, that Joe had a chance to talk to on Radio Row. So we will have plenty to go over next, uh, on next week's episode of the What A Rush podcast. This week, though, as I said, we have some stuff in the can. We talk with Ken Anderson, otherwise known in WWE as Mr. Kennedy. He has a wrestling school with Sean Devari up in Minneapolis. We had a chance to go to his school to look around everything, and then we sit down and we talk with Ken for a good hour or so uh, on the day of his wedding. Yeah, that's right. Uh, Ken took time out of his wedding day to sit down and talk with Joe and I uh, about the uh, the wrestling business, about his career, and about how things are going as a teacher of wrestling nowadays. Uh, Ken does his school is the Academy, the AcademyProWrestling.com. Next week on the show, we're going to have an offer for you uh, if you're interested in becoming a professional wrestler, how you can get involved with uh, Ken Anderson School up in Minneapolis. A promo code uh, goes along with that <clears throat> as well. So plenty to get to. As you could tell, my voice, I really do sound like shit this week, and I apologize for that, but we have plenty of content for you in our interview with Ken Anderson. So if you would be so kind to follow us on any of our social media platforms on Facebook, you could find us at the What A Rush podcast with Joe Laurinaitis, with Road Warrior Animal Joe Laurinaitis, on Twitter at What A Rush Pod. You can follow me on Twitter at Joe Roderick. You can follow Animal on Twitter at RW Animal. And you can find us on any of your favorite podcast download websites, such as Google Play, iTunes, or Stitcher. Any of those are where you can find the What A Rush Podcast. And you can also shoot us an email as well at the Road Warrior Podcast at gmail.com. So plenty to get to in the show today. As I said, we uh, are basically doing the, yeah, we do the entire show uh, from Ken Anderson's wrestling school in Minneapolis. It was a, a lot of fun, and here's what it sounded like. He's one half of the Road Warriors and the Legion of Doom, the most successful tag team in the world of professional wrestling. He's held the AWA, NWA, WCW, and WWF titles. He snacked on danger and dined on death 
He's Road Warrior Animal, Joe Laurinaitis, and this is the What A Rush Podcast. Now, here's your host, Joe Roderick. Joe, we're here in Minnesota, and we had mentioned all of the interviews that we wanted to do, taking you out on Radio Row on Tuesday this week, but we knew one of the things that we wanted to do was come down to the Academy School of Professional Wrestling, uh, which is owned by none other than Mr. Ken Anderson, and he joins us now here on the Water Rush Podcast. I'm so excited that you guys are here today. Honestly, thanks. You know, guys, uh, you know, as Ken knows, you know, being a Minnesota guy, you know, I mean, I, we say we hail from Chicago, but, you know, Hawk and I are, are Minnesota boys. And, uh, you know, it, it's always great to see somebody that's been, other than Hawk and I be successful in the world of professional wrestling, right? And uh, I spent quite a bit of time with Kenny in, in WWE, and uh, he had a great run there, you know, right, uh, you know, wrestling for a title championships and everything else. But it's great to see someone come back and do something like this man the and you, you know joe i only go to places that i think are mm-hmm. great places and the academy is a fast upgrowing school here in minnesota for professional wrestling man and so it's great to be here with kenny well kent who i mean we, we see the posters here and by the time this is aired we have posted the pictures but who who all has come through here that we would have heard of um we've got uh, shelton benjamin we've got um uh, we, every every few months we have a few. Every few months it's, we have a few this. people. Andy, hold come on, hold through. on a second, hold on a second. Andy Hanselman is our uh, is our tech guy this week, and he just told Mister Effing Kennedy how to hold a microphone in front of his mouth. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have cans. I don't have the cans, so I can't hear myself. So, and I generally talk now. Like this. We now Otherwise okay. It's so it, hot. I, I should note, Andy is not a, a big wrestling fan. He's a casual guy, so I don't think he was watching when Ken, when you were in the WWE. But Andy, my name. Andy is going to go back, and he's going to watch video of what you did, and he is going to feel so bad about what he, what he just said. I feel bad that he had to tell me that. Really, I feel like a schmuck. But like just recently, we had Tommy Dreamer come in here and do a seminar. We had X-Pac come and do a seminar. Uh, Eugene, Colt Cabana. Like I said, Shelton Benjamin, Christopher Daniels. We've had a bunch of people come through here. Who's and, graduated? Uh, the next class, or the next uh, scheduled seminar is actually Billy Gunn. He's coming oh, cool. February Excellent. 19th. Yeah, cool. Cool. So who's, who's graduated from here? We've got about uh, somewhere between five and ten graduates. And you know, the thing is, is, since we opened our doors just over a year ago, we've had something like 82 people come through these doors and sign up to be a, a pro wrestler. And when I say like only five to ten have graduated, it's because we don't just it's not like a Taekwondo organization where you just, hey, man, no matter what you come here, you put in your time, you punch the clock and you pay us your dues and we're going to give you a black belt in two years. You know, it's not like yeah, that. Here. You, you guys got the old school mentality. Just not everybody's going to graduate from yep. school here and, at the academy. And not the old school mentality in the sense that, like, I am not interested in in harassing guys and beating them into submission and, and making them go yeah, away. Yeah. You know, we don't do that here. Yeah. But uh, it's amazing how even doing it our way, 
you still get people that come in oh, here. Oh yeah, and, yeah. No, no. I, I, I meant the fact that like you guys are only going to put out talent. Yeah, is what yep. I'm saying. Absolutely. Yeah, you, yeah. Guys that have talent that are going to be an additive to the world of professional wrestling in the entertainment industry. You know. Yeah. Yep. If they're not ready, if if they're not ready, and you know, it's, at some point we got to kick people out of the nest because you're only going to learn so much here. You know, at the academy in front of your peers and your classmates. Some at some point, even if you're not that good, we gotta kick you out of the nest a little bit and say, okay, you're blessed. You're blessed to at least go and start having some matches. Before we start recording this, the video's up online. I got in a wrestling ring for the first time ever. I took some bumps. I ran against the ropes, and it was everything that I've been told it would be. <laughs> it it hurt, and running against the ropes, it hurts your back. Yeah. Taking a bump is, you know, it, it takes a lot of practice to master that so i want to hear i mean we've i I know your background with eddie sharkey but i want to what was your first time joe like in a ring and i want to hear ken's as well how awkward how awkward was it you had to imagine though eddie sharkey was the bartender at a bar called grandma bees here in minneapolis which was not exactly your dainty social club right (laughs) so you had hawk and i and ravishery rude and scott norton and uh you know nor the berserker and barry darso we were bouncers there and so when he took us down to this place we actually wrestled in a in a on an old boxing gym in the basement of a church in south minneapolis and two of the ropes of the ring were against the walls so when you learned how to wrestle and hit the ropes if you didn't hit the ropes from the right side i mean i got chips to this day in my elbow from hitting the wall with my elbow when we hit the ropes and if you didn't put your elbow there first, your your head would hit the hit the wall, you know. So, it, it definitely it, listen. Wrestling is not for the faint of heart, man. If I'm not saying you you got to be a bad apple or, or or the toughest guy in the world, but you have to have the mindset, man. It's not easy and it's gonna hurt. And everybody, everything, everybody sees on TV and they go, "Oh, wrestling's fake." Yes, do they throw punches like like stuntmen? Yes. But everything you see where you fall on your back and you're getting superplexed over on the top rope or you're doing a, a hurricanrana or you're doing a moonsault off the top rope under the floor, that's all real. There is no way to fake that. When yeah. Hawk and I used to press slam and power slam guys, no, no way to fake that stuff. So it, it hurts. As Jim Ross famously said, how do you learn how to fall off a 20-foot ladder? Exactly. You know? <laughs> and I'll tell you what, if anybody wants to doubt that this stuff is real, you get on a 30-foot-high scaffold like Hawk and I was doing when you had the – we literally told Dusty Rhodes, I have not fought off that scaffold. <laughs> I actually did a scaffold match in Australia about a year ago, and I've never been afraid of heights. It doesn't bother me at all. And I got up on that scaffolding, and it's like, you want me to do what? <laughs> uh, hey, yo, hey, believe then, it or not, man, if you watch some scary. of the old – like. Uh, Grand American Bashes, where we had those scaffold matches, we literally got to the point of throwing drop kicks up there. Oh, I threw that's crazy! Hey, yeah, it hurt, man. So, what about you? When was the uh, where? Where did you get your start? When was that first bump? It was the- in Green Bay, Wisconsin, and uh, it was in a ring that was a sixteen foot ring, sixteen by sixteen, which is a small ring. Um, WWE uses a twenty foot ring, and it was railroad ties. Covered up with four pieces of plywood. There was maybe just a tiny little sheet of carpet padding. You know, the stuff that goes underneath your carpeting. Um, It was a little thin sheet of that. And then the canvas on over the top of it. And the ropes were wobbly and floppy. And 
there were blood stains on it and i remember the the guy that trained me saying like that's honky tonk man's blood and that's just you know <laughs> this guy's <laughs> blood awesome. and stuff it was really cool <laughs> I, hey, but it, you know what i'll tell you what it didn't matter to me when i first stepped between those ropes i was like i am home this is awesome this is what i want to do what made you want to get into it i was always uh, i was always into sports and weightlifting and uh, and then you know i was an actor too in high school and I didn't watch wrestling growing up, but when I finally realized what I was missing out on in 96, 97, when Austin was having his big, you know, his big comeuppance, uh, his big run, um, I decided, like, hey, this is all the things that I love rolled into one package. This yeah. is awesome. And I found out you can go to wrestling school and learn how to do this stuff. That's, it's almost a very similar past, man, because I never really watched wrestling no. growing up either, mm -hmm. you know. And then all of a sudden... <clears throat> you know, I was actually training for a, a football trial with the USFL, getting ready to train for a walk-on tryout, getting ready to line that up. Huh. Uh, my old uh, coach, Art Meadowcroft, played for the Vikings, was going to line that up. And one day out of the bar, Ed Sharkey says, hey, you're going to do a school. And I figured, hey, what can I do? You know, grappling and everything else, you know, all the pummeling and stuff can't hurt. You know, so I said, okay, we're going to do At least I'll be in shape. Yeah. And then it just that happens to be that you fall in love with it, that, you know. <clears throat> did he charge you guys? Had some bumps and bruises along the way going through camp, you know. Yeah. Did he charge you guys, or did he? Was it kind of like a? No, I never paid. No. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> Ed never charged Hawk That's and I. So I don't know why he, he never charges a dime to go through camp, man. Yeah. I owe Eddie. Right. Eddie was a he was a great he was a great trainer, but you know, with us, I think you know, uh, Ed really never got in the ring with us. Yeah. <laughs> we kind of learned by ourselves, and we all came out of there. Hawk and I and Ravishing Rue with broken noses, and I remember one time. Uh, What's the small bone on the outside of your leg? Your 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 tibia or your tibia uh, your tibia, right? The outside bone in the bottom yeah. part of your leg. Well, Barry Barry Darso was about three hundred and forty pounds, power lifting. You know, he and Wayne Bloom had the two man deadlift record of like fourteen hundred and eighty five pounds, something like that. Ridiculous. And Barry was a good seven hundred and eighty pound deadlifter himself. He came off the ropes and he hit me like a freight train. And I look down on my knee, and I see the bones sticking out on my knee. And it's not through the skin. And I see it dislocated, and I go, something wrong, something's wrong with my leg. <laughs> and, and I'm limping around. And he, he's going, what are you doing? We should go to the hospital? I go, no, nah, let me try to walk it off. And luckily, outside, because we were in Mark South St. Paul, the, the sidewalk was all messed up and uneven. I stepped on it, and it popped back in. Really? I said, oh, it's, it's okay. Let's go back in the ring. And we went back in and finished the camp session. Wow. Yeah, oh. never never stopped. Did it, you ever? It, it never swelled up or nothing. I did squats the next day and wow. everything else. But, yeah, that, that's how, you know, but that's the mentality in the wrestling business, man. You know, it's very much the show must go on mentality, you know. Today it's a little different. A uh, guy gets hurt today, he's out for three months fixing the injury. Yep. You know, but back when we wrestled, you know, and when you were there, Ken, you, when you got hurt, you just taped it up and you had your next night performance to do. And Yeah. Well, and, you, and you you kind of went through that in your you know your career with having a big injury I'm, that I've had you know, a few injuries yeah. well a big one that you know cost you and yeah. so two, two of them that cost me what it's interesting because the one was you know I was just getting I was just out of the gates and they were pushing me pretty hard and I tore my lat and I had to you know it was like one of those things where can, you know I asked the doctor can I get away with not having it done and just keep working on it and he says with something like that you can't and um, so I had the surgery, but then 
And the other time, I had the money in the bank briefcase, yep. and I was going to. They had called me in the office and said, next week, you're going to cash that in, and you're going to be the new champion. We're going to cash it in on uh, Taker, because Taker oh, was hurt. Wow. And uh, I remember Batista gave me a clothesline, like pulled me out of the corner, gave me a little short clothesline. And it wasn't his. I'm not you know, saying it was just he right. happened to be in the ring with me when this happened. And I took a weird bump, and I felt something pop in my triceps and went to uh, get an MRI. The MRI, the doctor read it and said, you tore your triceps off the bone. You're going to have to have surgery. You're out for eight months. We still need to, we still need to get that briefcase or uh, uh, we need to get that title off of Taker. So you're going to, we're going to fly Vin Vince's jet's going to come pick you up. You're going to fly to Penn state and you are going to edge is going to challenge you for your briefcase and you're going to do it. He's going to take it. And then he's going to go on to do what you were supposed to do. So we did all that. And then I flew down to Birmingham to meet with Dr. Andrews who does all, you know, he's a big surgeon, does a lot of uh, professional athletes, all the WWE guys. And he sat on the table and he just grabbed my triceps and he was like just working it with his hand and he goes, that's not torn. And uh, it turned oh, out yeah. he, he did another MRI, but it was just a large hematoma. I had like wow. basically broke a bunch of blood vessels in there. So Jeez. I went through all that. <clears throat> talk about a misdiagnosis. Uh, right, wow. right. I mean, what, what, why did they never put that back? I mean, I know they couldn't just give you the briefcase back. Why wasn't uh, it? I, I, I mean, there was a bunch of different. There were a bunch of different reasons. You know, I was, I was in a bad place, and I was. Uh, it, you know, it's it's really hard when you, when you have some steam. And I always tried to maintain the air of humility. Like I tried to be as humble as possible. But like, when you've got everybody, sort of, bond, you know this. Like when people start. Not bowing to you, but you know, like helping you out at every turn, uh, you start to believe your own BS yeah, a little bit. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I, you know, I, at one point, I felt like everybody needed to know what Ken Anderson felt about the Benoit situation. You know, and I opened my mouth about that, and then opened my mouth about steroids and stuff like that. You know, and, um, and it just ended up that plus the injuries plus a bunch of other stuff that just kind of. We're tired, yeah, you know. it's an evil business, man. People, you, you get blackballed for no reason at all sometimes, mm. you know. And then at the end of the day, I, you know, I was I blame myself for all that stuff, and I could have done something different about it. And that's actually a wonderful thing about having this academy and having students now is I get to tell them and show them, look, I did this. Don't do this. Yeah, and I was, you, you learn, you know, yeah, you're able to teach all these guys from your mistake. And if they're coming in here, most likely – in this day, in 2018, these guys are wrestling fans, right? Do you get yeah. a, Do you get any athletes that just say, you no. know what, I played football, I want to see what I can do in here? We haven't yet. No, pretty much everybody that comes in here loves wrestling. So, uh, yeah, I always say it, but the, the funny thing was, is like, you know, you said you weren't a wrestling fan until you got into the business. And I was a wrestling fan. I just started to be a wrestling fan, like maybe a year before I got into business. But when I fell, I fell hard for it. And um, I always say, like, you know, because people use the term Mark as a pejorative and, like, you know, it's a negative, uh, oh, the guy's a Mark, but we're all Marks. You know, I'm such a Mark that I decided to shave my legs and wear baby oil and tights. And <laughs> I, I, that's re the I remember when I, uh, when, 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 I, when I just started going through camp and then I went down to the St. Paul Civic Center and I watched Hulk Hogan wrestle uh, Nick Bockwinkle. And when I saw that big SOB Hogan come into the ring 
and I saw him fly get in there, and the reaction he got, I said, man, to myself, this is freaking cool. And I said, I hope someday to be able to do that, you know. Yeah. And that, 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 that was my really – I think that's, what the, that's the moment that really hooked me, mm. and I knew I was kind of thinking more wrestling than football. But it was uh, th- that was a pivotal moment in my career right there when I saw Hogan, because it, I remember was, I remember as a kid when I was like 18 years old, uh, Hogan and Beefcake came into our, our gym and when it was in uh, on, in St. Louis Park off of Highway 12 when it was Highway 12 at the time, and uh, I looked at it and I was I said who the hell are, are these monsters man they're huge both of them were huge <laughs> right. man, and uh, you know see Hogan coming in you know he's six six you know 200 or 310 pounds I said. And he's all freaking tanned up and the blonde hair. And then Beefcake was almost just as big, you know. Dizzy Ed Boulder at the time was his name. And uh, it, it was crazy, man. I saw those guys. I said, oh, man. I said, this is something very intriguing. Yeah. yeah. It, with him, you know, you can't have these stories with, with, with Joe because he wasn't the fan. He didn't, you know, he didn't mark out the first time he saw Hulk Hogan back in the 80s. So I can't, you know, I, I can't explain to him what it's like for me to work with him to meet some of these guys that I've been, you know, meet guys like you that sure. I've, I've watched all these years. So when was your first mark out moment, either in the business before WWE or maybe backstage WWE when you got to meet somebody? Um, well, you know, what? it's funny because it still happens to this day. And I've been in wrestling now for 19 years. But like the fact that I'm sitting here with Road Warrior Animal doing an interview is still like I, that's not lost on me, like how cool that is, you know, and um, when I'm. Uh, I worked Undertaker. You know, we were practically married for nine months or a year. And, uh, you know, th- that kind of stuff, it's just I still sort of mark out. Every time that I was in the ring with anybody in the WWE was a sort of a mark out moment. Well, it's a big moment. I mean, you know, you, I mean, let's be honest. I mean, you've got to wrestle guys, Ken, that millions of fans across this world wish they could even touch and meet. Yeah. And you got to wrestle them in the ring. I mean, I felt the same way. I mean, Hawk yep. and I were, there could have been two guys that were more blessed in this business as a tag team, man, from day one, working main events for 22 years. Yeah. You know, and, and I, I'm always appreciative of that and humble and respect all the guys that paved the road for me to get in the wrestling business, you know. I remember I had a, a moment when I first started working Taker. Um, he came up to me and said, hey, we're going to be working a program. Um, he actually had asked Vince because he saw me wrestle Batista and was like, I think we can do something with this guy. Um, and so I, uh, they just put us together on a house show just to see if, you know, because if you're going to work with Taker, he has to, like, test, take you for a test drive, basically. And so he took me for a test drive, and I believe it was Oklahoma City, and I was standing in the rain. So funny thing was he said, I'll just see you out there. Like that's we didn't talk about yeah, anything awesome, in the back. Man. Yeah, it was super old school. It was great, and yeah. I remember. But it was so freeing because he just said, "Like, just listen to me, kid," and that is so freeing when you just all right. I'm gonna listen to everything he says, and I'm gonna do the best that I can to paint my numbers, his numbers. And I remember standing there in the ring, and the lights went out, and I heard the gong for the first time, and I got goosebump, and I was like, "How did I get here? Like, I come <laughs> from." And in this so business, cool. man, you got to understand that's Joe. That's a compliment. <clears throat> yeah. For the Undertaker to say, "Hey, I want to go work with this guy," because Taker was the man. He he literally, when the business was down, he saved WWE because WWE was going in the toilet. 
because you know WCW was going rocking hard at that time, you know too. And sure, and sure. then uh, you know he saved that. And to ask, hey, I want to work with this guy, that's a testament. You know, Kenny, you got the you got the great angle with Taker that you did for a long time, and you you had a phenomenal run in TNA as well. What do you think is your pivotal moment for you in your career? Um, I, you know, the money in the bank, winning money in the bank at WrestleMania. I mean, everybody that gets into this business dreams of having a WrestleMania moment. And, you know, that was, you know, even though it was, we just talked about it, it never it came to its full fruition or whatever, but like just doing that. And it was the first year that WWE was doing the giant arenas. You know, before that, the year before, it was in the Allstate Arena mm -hmm. in Chicago in front of was 20,000 people, maybe. It was probably more like 16,000 with the with the build-out and everything. But that was that was fantastic. It was 81,000 people or something like 89,000 people and millions of people around the world. That was awesome. Would that have been 22, 23? It was 23. 23, 23 yeah. Ward Field. But, yeah, it was, uh, it was fun. And, you know, like – um, I've had some other moments where I'm just like, yeah, just recently within the last year or so I was over in England. It was just on an indie show in front of 800 people, but the 800 people were packed like sardines and they were super fun and they were into it. And I wrestled a tag match. It was a six man tag. It was me, Billy Gunn and Tajiri <laughs> versus uh, a bunch of guys from, from England. And it was crazy fun. Like, Billy and I were laughing hysterically in the ring with each other just, you know, because we were just out there having fun and uh, and the crowd was so. You know, Joe mentioned TNA and uh, one of the cool things here at the Academy, all of your, you know, everything that you and Davari have done throughout Mostly your career. Mostly me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> there's, I mean, there's all sorts of TNA stuff up here because – of, of the run that you had there as mm -hmm. as Mr. Anderson and you know Joe and I were talking on the way over here about the the run you had the the aces and eights run how there were there have been times over the years there's there's nothing going on in TNA right now that makes me want to tune in mm -hmm. but when I had seen that you know the aces and eights storyline starting I wanted to tune in every single week yeah. to see where it was going because that was unique. That's you cool. didn't know who was going to join. You didn't know if someone was going to be unmasked. Yeah. And it seemed like that was something that TNA had their shit together and they were putting on a real good storyline week after week. And yet was they still couldn't take a huge chunk of ratings away from WWE. They couldn't, you know, they, it still couldn't get that company over. You, yeah. see, you see guys now, AJ Styles, you know, has the belt right now. He was TNA. Yep. For so long, yep. Samoa Joe is you know been a, was a huge name in TNA. He's on you know he's main eventing stuff when he's healthy in WWE. Bobby Roode has the U.S. title. He was TNA longer than AJ Styles was. What I mean, what was it about that company when you were there that just it nothing could click or nothing uh, could work out? I, there was just so much wrong, and it was interesting. I was just talking about this with somebody the other day that. When I was there, there were so many times where morale should have been in the gutter. It should have been in the tank completely because guys weren't getting paid for three months. Uh, you, you know, you didn't know which way it was up or down. Uh, we were getting a rah-rah speech every couple of weeks, you know, the just because everybody should have been just miserable and ready to quit. But even the guys who hadn't been paid in three months still wanted to go out there and put on a show. They wanted to... Like, hey, let's band together. Let's make this happen. Let's make it work. You know, 
we've got a chance to to do something and and bring it around but you know at the, at the end of the day um we would we would have a stacked card i remember like you know kurt angle jeff hardy um i think rick flair was there um it was you know, five or six giant names in the industry and then everybody else who was pretty big name in the industry too at the time at least for tna and we worked the baseball stadium and there was something like 162 people at the baseball stadium 162 wow. people in a stadium that held like 10,000 people <laughs> and that night ring of honor ran a show and packed out an 800 seat arena you know it was just like they wouldn't advertise man they would not advertise all their advertising was done via facebook and twitter and we were always told like keep tweeting keep tweeting keep yeah, tweeting yeah you never gonna draw a no. dime doing that no. And that's, you know, I, I feel like, you know, Aces and Eights was that, you know, that went on for quite a, what was that, that, that the whole thing went on for like, like six, year. eight months. Yeah, yeah. it went yeah, on I, for a while. I liked it. I yeah. liked the Aces and Eights and thing, man. I thought it was pretty the, cool. I, I, saw the, I saw that. That's really, yeah, that's. The little uh, vest over there. The what was the idea the going into that? How was the, uh, how was that pitch to you? I think Uncle Eric just came up to me and said, hey, man, I want, because I wasn't one of the original members, but there was just like. Kind of this thing, I I had turned babyface, and I went babyface, heel, babyface, heel, babyface, heel, so many times. And he was just like, let's do something different with you. How about we're going to throw you in this faction and see see if you can run with it. And it worked out. So, Kenny, all right, now, I, I know you're with your school here, with your students, I think it's important for you to, you know, you, as you were telling me, you know, you have the students sit here and you watch the Royal Rumble yep. last night. Um what I know the reaction, you knew the reaction of, of being there and being a young kid and watching something like that and just hoping someday. I remember my first story. I was sitting there with, uh, I was in Richmond, Virginia. I'll never forget it. And I was with Roddy Piper. And I was in my first battle royal. And I was such a dummy. I was supposed to go out like number two. And here I am. I'm number 13 out of 15 still. <laughs> Piper says, what are you doing in here? And Piper got me out of the ring, right? <laughs> really? I, I didn't know. I didn't, I didn't know what it meant. They said, you're number two. And I'm going, okay, i got to go to the bathroom or something. Or what? <laughs> you know, I didn't know how I was supposed to go out number two. And I'm so because I was a 280-pound guy, you know, back in, you know, nobody wanted to throw me out. Right, they didn't right. know what I was going to do, you know. <laughs> <laughs> they saw me kill poor Randy Barber when I was in Georgia uh, Championship Wrestling. Then I go to the NWA and Crockett. I'm just like a nobody. They were calling me Joe Lauren from Ireland. For guys' sake, I'm saying Joe Lauren. Lauren. Rick Rude and I used to laugh at that all the time, Ravishing Rick Rude. But then sitting at the bar, and I had no money whatsoever. I was making $125 for the week. And, wow. <laughs> and that's working nine times, right? So. I'm sitting there with Rod, Rowdy Roddy Piper, and um, 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 he goes, kid, what do you want to drink? And I said, okay. He gave, we had a shot of Jack Daniels together. And I'm sitting there, and, uh, and I, I, he goes, so, kid, what do you think about the wrestling business? What's your goals? I said, Roddy, I said, the stuff that you do in the ring, the commands you got of the crowd, I, I just hope one day to get half that reaction with the people. And he goes, kid, I don't know if you got what it takes. Talk about <laughs> popping my balloon, bro. You, know, you can't even go out the right number in the Battle Royal. How are you going to do this, right? And I said, well, I said, well, I said, thanks anyway. I said to him, and I really didn't know what to say. I was so humiliated at that. I thought really my wrestling career was going to be done. 
You know, so I you got you got to explain to the fans out there, man, the reaction of some of these guys that are watching this for the first, like watching the Rumble, the feelings they get, they, ha- they all have to get goosebumps. I know that. Yeah, yeah. But it, it's a great feeling. I mean, explain to the fans out there what it exactly like when you're when you're going through the camp and you you get to see you get to sit there with a future Hall of Fame guy, most likely with, with Mr. Kennedy here. What's that like? Uh, you know, when when I first started out in the business, I just I was such a huge mark. I was such a fan. I was so happy that I was able to get out there. And you know what? We weren't working. I was working. You know, my first night I worked in front of 400 people because I went out and sold tickets like crazy. Sold to all my friends and family. I lived in a small town, so you know everybody wanted to come. And then the next night I wrestled in front of about 50 people and I got no music and I got no offense and uh, I think I got a drop kick and he just kind of sidestepped it or whatever, you know, but like I didn't care. I wanted to, I wanted to wrestle and I never really told anybody because I didn't want to set myself up for failure. But like I always had the idea that I was going to make it to the WWE. Like, that was my goal, but I just didn't walk around saying, like, hey, I'm going to be there. But I'd have people that I worked with who were kind of condescending, and I don't think they meant to be because I I believe that people don't believe in themselves. So when somebody does something that's outside of the realm of normal, they sort of have a hard time believing in them. But they would say stuff to me like, uh, hey, what are you going to wrestle Hulk Hogan? (laughs) You know, kind of like a backhanded compliment or you know underhanded yeah. compliment and a dig at the same time yeah yeah and then um you know years later they were calling me asking me for tickets to go to the tna show where i was and in the ring with and your autograph too yeah yeah, yeah. Too. <laughs> right right oh well, we always knew you could make it buddy <laughs> oh, we're yeah, so it, proud of you it, it's hard to explain to the fans man what a surreal feeling it is i'll never forget that right when hawk and i got teamed up and Ole Anderson brings us down to Georgia Championship Wrestling right now. Being a fan of the now, – now I'm really a fan of the wrestling business. I'm going through camp and everything else, and I've already made my decision. And I go into the locker room, and we had no idea what we were in store for. You're, you're at TBS Studios down there off of Techwood in Atlanta, you know, WTBS, yep. and, you know, we're used to watching all the names that were wrestling in there. I get in the locker room, man. I see – Tito Santana and Sergeant Slaughter and Wildfire Tommy Rich and Dusty Rhodes and Paul Orndorff and Ole Anderson and Arn Anderson and all these guys, you know, and Ric Flair. And I'm going, what the heck? <laughs> is this for real? How did I because get Now here? I'm in the locker room with the guys yep. not knowing anything. And the next thing you know, you know, Ole Anderson said, hey, here you go. You're my, you're my Georgia Championship tag team champions the nwa champs we said what <laughs> at first we thought oh, that was easy <laughs> didn't even read the wrestle a match for him you know <laughs> all right but 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 get in that locker room talk about a humbling experience yeah. man you know not not wanting to say the wrong thing like you said i mean we went in a locker room like couple humble little mice yeah what do you want me to do yes sir no sir and that went on for the first four to five years in the business until we start really learning we never called a thing in there you know, and we were heels in the beginning, 
which was good because that helped us learn. But we were also in the ring with, you know, Hardy Races and Stan Hansen's and Ric Flair's and Tommy Rich. We, we went to school is what we say. You, have, you never talk about the academy. You never stop going to the academy, to yep. be honest with you. Right. From day one, and every year in this wrestling business, you learn something new. Yep. Even after 20, 30 years, you learn something new. That's so crazy that you say that because we've had these seminars here. And, like, Christopher Daniels and I rode together for three years every single week, four days a week, maybe five sometimes. And we just never really talked wrestling psychology for something. You know, because yeah. when you're doing it every single day, when you get out of the ring, you kind of want to, like, let's talk about something else. Let's talk about football or, or whatever. Um, and he's here in the ring, and he put on a four-hour clinic. And... I was blown away by all the stuff that he was. I, I learned stuff every single time we have a seminar here. Uh, I learned stuff by just watching the TV. You know, it's it's really cool. And like you said earlier about the that feeling that you get when you're in the locker room with all these guys the first time. Um, I remember when I first got – I had only been in the business for a year maybe when I got my first WWE tryout. And – I got to the locker room and I'm seeing Stone Cold Steve Austin and The Rock and all these guys backstage and I was just like, this is freaking crazy, you know? Yeah. Like, and uh, I, I remember my heart just pounding out of my chest and I was so nervous to meet all these guys. And then I kept sort of coming around and doing it and it got a little easier and a little easier, but you know, I never lost that, that awe. It's just my heart wasn't, I didn't have buck fever every time I uh, sure, sure. got in the presence of one of those guys. Was it easier for you to be a uh, – was, was, he talks about how easy it was to be a heel when he started in. Was that yep. true with you too? Yeah, I believe it's way easier to get people to dislike you than it is to get people to truly like you. Yeah. You yeah. know, to, it's to, – To like you is people are just going to like you if they like you. Yep. I mean, you can't force it. Like, look at I, Roman Reigns is a perfect example. Like, they yeah. want him to like you. John Cena. <clears throat> yeah, and that's – you know, it's – I tell I, I talk to him about this all the time. the The whole Roman Reigns situation is mm -hmm. that they keep trying over and over and over again to find a way to get him over, and he he's great in the ring. Yeah, he does a hell of a job in the ring. It's just the fans don't want to like I don't, him. I kind of don't understand it because I don't think he's that like I. I get he's not super charismatic, or whatever, but like. I feel like he's a likable enough guy. Well, from yeah, a, he's from not, a fan? He's not doing enough bad stuff for the fans to really hate him. Yeah, I don't I, understand. You know, and <clears throat> I don't know what it is, and I really believe this with all my heart. It goes back to the writers. Some of the promos they've had him saying were very, very stupid. Yeah, they're you just... You know, and, and, and like, he's a, he's a Samoan. Right, mm -hmm. you, your relation to The Rock and Rikishi and everybody. Why not let him be Samoan? That that's my take on it. Mm -hmm. If they let, I, I prefer to be with a guy like Roman Reigns because I've I've talked to him, Roman quite a bit. Uh, he was down at the uh, training center when I went down there to did a couple seminars down there for the WWE, and he's a great guy, great attitude. Yeah, can do a lot of great stuff in the ring, and and he's actually a pretty funny guy. But, you know, if they will let that part of him come out. That's it. You know what I mean? And every, Ken and I were talking about this earlier. Uh, Joe, you were in part of the conversation. How <clears throat> every wrestler that has made it big has got, I don't want to say an inner child, but he got an inner personality in them, like an alter ego type of thing, right? I mean, look, you know, like, like hey, man, I'm a grandfather. I'm a father. I was always a coach of my kids and everything else. But I put the paint on. 
I turn into Road Warrior Animal real quick. Yeah. You know what I mean? And uh, and it's like Ken. Ken's a normal guy like this. And the, you know, give him that microphone when that bell rings. You know, you, you know, Mr. Kennedy thing, which he's going to do for us here on on the mic, by the way. Joe did one for us last week. If you <laughs> want him to do it yeah, again. Yeah, if you want to do it, uh, right. the impression No, no, again, I, can't, you know. I can't do it as well as Ken does. <laughs> but <laughs> I tried. I embarrassed myself by trying to do it. But, you know, the, every, every person's got an alter ego in them that you got to bring out. And if they just would just let him tap into that, Sometimes I think the business today, you know, the company gets in a, a habit of trying to mold the guy into what they want him to be yep. instead of trying to figure out what's his natural thing to be. Mm-hmm. Seen as a natural nice guy. Why are they boosting? I don't know. I just think because he's been around for so long and it's, he's been great yeah. for so long. They're just tired of seeing him maybe a little bit. But, you know, but the guys that are – Randy Orton. That's Randy Orton. <laughs> right. When he comes down as a rattlesnake, that's Randy a thousand percent. That's what you see is what you get. From the fan side of it, with a guy like Cena, it, it seemed like for a while, you know, it was like Roman Reigns. They were pushing him down. They all, he always was the top guy. You wanted to see him do something different. You always wanted him to be a heel. But you understand why he can't. You can't have a heel going out and granting, you know, 500 wishes for Make-A-Wish right, and right, then be an right. asshole in the ring. It doesn't work that way. Yeah. But – you know, I think with Cena going away, coming back, going away, coming back, I think now he has the respect to where, you know, it's like with Kurt Angle. He comes out, fans are going to chant, you suck. But they don't they really st- mean yeah, it. Yeah, they don't really mean They're it. Now it's along. just, yeah. okay, Cena comes out, we boo. With Reigns, you haven't seen that, you know, it seems like he could be a natural asshole, but they won't pull the trigger on that. They want him yeah. to be the top Is he, face. You know, I know the reason that they <laughs> kept Cena – as a baby face but was because he was doing all the make a wish and he was also uh he was selling a ton of merchandise yeah they were like if we turn him heel we're gonna lose all that mm-hmm. merchandise and they weren't you know it, his his merchandise numbers were insane compared mm-hmm. to anybody else's in the company at the time and i wonder if you know is, is he selling a ton of merchandise Roman Reigns is, is Roman oh, Reigns. You know, I don't know. I know yeah, Roman does. Roman, there's a, quite a few Roman top Reigns. Top five, there. I think, right now in the company. But I do, I believe that if he were to turn heel, you might see that, you know, different markets go out and buy that. That yeah. you'll see the grown men go out and get that the shoes. That Because he, yes. he, he's got the look, Roman Reigns does, to be a very vicious heel mm-hmm. if he wants to be. Yeah. I almost <clears> feel like... Someday, I think where people are going to be eating their words because I just I feel that he's got it. I really do, and I think they need to turn him heel and let him find that. He's own still got to grow, man. He's remember, still got to grow yet. Right. You know what I mean? I mean, in yep. his personality, he's just got to grow. When the Rock, they turned the Rock heel and they were booing him and booing him and booing him, and because I think he started out as a babyface too. And oh like, yeah. You know, they were yeah. jamming they wanted, him down oh, yeah. people's throats, and people the were like, no Maya way. Thing. Yeah, yeah, man. No freaking way. And then when he turned heel, and he was able to just take all that negative energy that he was getting from the fans and put it back towards them. And I remember walking into work one day, and my buddy was like, what about The Rock last night? Because he had cut some ridiculous promo, and that was when he started calling himself The Rock. And, and you know, it wasn't long after that that people forgot I hated I hated his guts six months ago. We were just talking about that a few weeks ago, just the amount of stuff, you know, once they teamed him up with Farouk, with Ron Simmons, the amount of stuff that he learned on the uh, mic and how to talk on the mic. And, you know, Joe, you were telling oh, me. Oh, yeah, yeah just, man. We, we had a blast. I mean, we, we did the one uh, 
WrestleMania with uh, I believe it was Ahmed Johnson. No, no, I think this is when. We, yeah, no, we were talking. Yeah. No, no, oh, but I'm saying. Oh, I thought you were talking about the episode. No, I got no, you. no. Yeah. But I'm saying we did. We, we, Hawk and I tagged with Ahmed Johnson. Talk about a visual freaking thing to look at. <laughs> two 300-pounders and then Hawk, 275, with spiked shoulder pads on against the Nation of Domination. And Holy The Rock cow. was part of that Nation of Domination, man. With Mark Henry in there. <clears throat> well, at the time, Hilo. it was uh, Farouk, uh, The Rock, and uh, The Godfather was in there. Was it, yeah, was it Kama? Moose? Kama. Yeah. Kama and was that was, there. was that before? Because Crush you know, was you in there at the beginning, too. The white guys, Jamie and... Uh, Wolfie D. Or Wolfie yeah, D. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Jamie and, and Wolfie D. So yeah. we actually wrestled five Jamie guys. Three, yeah. so, but it was great, man. And, and you could tell back then, even The Rock, because he would he'd just start changing when he was a heel. He just had personality, man. He, he just had the... It's, we call it the it factor in this business. You either got the it factor, you don't, to be a main event. And it's all about putting butts in seats. And if you don't have that it factor... You know, you're just going to be a undercard guy your whole career, which isn't a bad thing because you're yeah. in the big leagues. And but you're in uh, the business. but you know, you're making money for your family and everything else, so you've got to appreciate it and respect it. We're we're recording this. I want to let the uh, people know we're recording this on January 29th, uh, the day after the Rumble, and you know, you talk about the undercard guys. Last night, the Royal Rumble, the the role like a guy, you know, I was telling the role Heath Slater played with Joe at Raw 1000, mm-hmm. the role Heath Slater played in Raw 25, that he sticks around. He's never been, he's never going to contend for a championship, but it seems like he's always going to have a job. Last yep. night at the Rumble, for the first half of the Rumble, he was the star. Yep. And it was just because he got his ass kicked in the ring. Yep. and Not he, even in the ring. <laughs> and the that's, the ring. that's true. Everybody it's because that came down hit him. That was awesome. Like yeah, that, the yeah, running gag, like, you just hit him. <laughs> it's just you find but, your role. Everybody needs a role, and yep. it, that role will always work in the company. Not everybody can be John Cena. Mm-hmm. It, no. You know, you not everybody can be Vince McMahon. You need to have the undercard guys who accept, like, I love my job, but I'm here as a part of a team effort, you know? And, it's, it's, and that stuff is cool. And that comes from a guy like Heath Slater. Not having a big ego and not having a big head. Well, I'm, I'm ticked off because I'm not, you know, main eventing and I deserve this and I deserve that. Like, yes, everybody sort of has that in the back of your head because we're competitive by nature. But at the end of the day, they take what's given to them and they go out there and like, all right, I don't, I'm not super happy with what I'm given here, but I'm gonna go out there and make the most out of it. And when you started that role, was that role around when you because TV wasn't as big back when you started as it is now you didn't have I mean, the production of tv that it was an actual two three hour tv show where you had the segments not every segment can be a top raw moment i mean you do need to have you still need to build stories underneath to keep people interested oh you, in you, all you always hours. have to well, that's yeah. that's what they i think is one of the problems in the wrestling today because you gotta understand when Ken was in his run with with Undertaker, and then and then and then WCW was going strong. But we talked about it. You had eighteen to twenty million viewers. Hmm. Now you have less than two million viewers watching wrestling, and it needs to have this storyline coming back. And that's what was was been missing with the wrestling for a long time because you got a pay per view now every month, so it's hard to get any storyline in there in three weeks. You can't get enough heat on a guy, yep. so that's why the television shows are longer. And one guy may have, like Kevin Owens the other day, had four segments on mm-hmm. on what Raw or SmackDown, whatever it was. I think SmackDown. Which is a long day at TV. Mm-hmm. Which right? is a long day at TV, yeah. man. 
And so <clears throat> now the guys are getting that. But that's one thing you have to learn in this business. You don't know coming out of these camp doors where you're going to fit in. If you come in these camp doors with a big ego, and I know because I do a lot of seminars. Too. Actually, I'm, Ken and I were talking. I'm going to come here at the academy and do a seminar sometime. Nice. Like when I do them in Japan, I do them in the U.K., and when I go to do a seminar, and I see guys that won't take a bump because he's the biggest guy in camp. And I look at him, and he goes, okay, animal, can I have your cheek? And I said, well, yeah, man, can I ask you the first thing? Who do you think you are, Andre the Giant? Why aren't you bumping on your back? I said, because believe me, once you get out of this ring here and you get outside in the real world, you will be bumping. And if you don't bump, somebody's going to take it and make you bump. And when you get to the WWE, you're probably not that big. <laughs> right, you're not <laughs> that big. Yeah. You're not, yeah I was going to say, right? as long as Strowman's around, there's not going to be many guys that are going to yeah. be as big as, as big as that. And even the guys that look small on TV are big in real life. Yeah. That's what people don't realize. Even some of the guys was, that are thinner in stature. Or like six street. Yeah. Yeah. Dean yeah. Ambrose yeah. I met when I met Dean Ambrose, I could not believe how big he was. Yep. Because in the ring, he looks like just another guy. He looks yep. like he blends in. And then meeting him and seeing just how tall he was, how big he was, it's like, my God, like Matt and Jeff Hardy, who are always especially Jeff, you know, yeah. he, the way he moves around, I always thought he's a smaller guy. He's he's a big boy. He's mm -hmm. six six one, six two, two hundred and thirty pounds. I mean, that's mm -hmm. not cruiserweight. The uh, the way they're dealing handling Braun right now. Do you mm -hmm. like what they're doing with him? The way they're I like you know I, I'm going to be honest and say that I don't watch religiously. Yeah, but the I, right now with everything here and my kids at home, um, I generally you know if something's really good, somebody will buzz me and tell me about it, and then I watch it. But everything that I've seen with Braun Strowman it seems like they're building mm -hmm. him perfectly. Yeah. They're they building him as this big monster. And they've tried to do that for years. Every big, big guy that comes through those doors, they're like, he's the guy we're going to do the big guy thing with. Mm -hmm. Like uh, Nathan Jones and, uh, you know, the list is endless. Yeah, Heidenreich. He, he seems one of those smoother, big, big guys, like the six personality, six, eight, six dying guys. You know, his personality. He, he, you could see he has a tremendous room to grow. He's got to get better in the interviews and just just his mannerisms. Still a little bit robotic, but he's a big guy. And I think um, what really helps him is a guy like Lesnar flying like a feather for him. Yep. When he goes to throw Lesnar, Lesnar runs full speed and hits that barrier. Yep. <clears throat> That's making Braun Strowman and letting Braun slam him through tables and everything else. That's making him that giant. Yep. And, that's what's take. You have to have an over guy, let you throw him, throw you around to make you, you know, and that's yep. that's a big plus. So, I, I was going to ask this, but if you if you watch when it's popular, you, I, I hope that you'll be able to answer this. If not, maybe we just edit it out. <laughs> the beauty of doing this yeah. is there. You were you were an awesome promo guy. You you know you knew how to work a mic. Is there somebody in the company now? Not I mean everyone's going to say Paul Heyman. Is there somebody that you'd want to get into a ring and have a back and forth with uh, just on the mic? Not not wrestling, but on the mic. Thank, first of all, thank you for saying that. I appreciate it. Um, I, can't, I can't think of anybody off the top of my head that's like that really stands out like that guy's an awesome promo. And I, I'm not burying anybody. Right. But like I said, I don't watch that much. Mm -hmm. But I, And the stuff that I have seen, I haven't seen anything that's like that guy's. How, uh, Im how important is that uh, to you when you teach these guys? 
when you teach the guys promos, how much mic work is done here? We do it a fair amount. Um, every we, So we have class three days a week. It's uh, either Monday, Wednesday, Friday, or Tuesday, Thursday, Friday, depending on which class you're in. So we're open five days a week. But, like, Friday is generally a promo day. We It's kind of chill. We do a little stuff in the ring, but we watch tape. We dissect tape, and we do promos. And I think it's huge. I think it's super important. You have to be able to get pe- give people a reason to want to – buy a ticket you know tape and, and tape, of, tape of them or tape of other people other promos both really both and and i was talking to animal about this earlier that um you know it's good to be able to do a promo on the off the cuff on the fly but nowadays somebody hands you a script and says here do this be this character and that is sometimes harder than just digging from within mm-hmm. How many Hawk promos do you show then? Yeah. <laughs> Andy Hanselman wants to uh, join in on this. Yeah, he, no, just, he just took a mic away from – he just grabbed a mic away from Road Warrior Animal, and he's going to ask a question to Ken Anderson. <laughs> I did say pretty please. <laughs> so you know, my, my true fandom goes back to the, back to the mid and late 80s. Yep. And back then, you know, you had a guy like Mean Gene Okerlund who was, who was helping to feed these guys during their promos as well. Mm-hmm. And – so, do you do you think that the over the years that the the promo kind of became a lost art? Because I mean, those guys back then were so damn good at it. Yeah. And, and and being able to to train these guys, obviously, you were very good at what you did as well. I'm sorry, I had to tell you hold, how to hold the microphone earlier, but <laughs> but so um, basically, basically, my question is: Do you think it's a lost art, and do you think it's something that can be that can be brought back? It is, but with TV the way that it is nowadays, it's like I understand why they need to have the scripts and why they need to they can't just tell somebody hey go out there and put it in your own words because they've got ways and means and you know they got to make sure that somebody's not cursing out there and or saying the wrong thing or saying something sexist or racist inadvertently you know um so i understand why it is the way that it is i don't particularly like it but i get it and i understand it and you know it's obviously the formula is working for the WWE. We, um, I, 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 yeah, we're going to edit that part out. Andy, <laughs> make a note of that. <laughs> <laughs> 49 minutes into it, and I'd fuck up. Nice. <laughs> so, yeah. So, Ken, man, I, it's it's been awesome chatting up with you here for almost the last hour. It's uh, th- this place is this place is really neat. Some of the uh, the memorabilia that you have up here is is just really cool. And um, I mean, it's awesome that uh, getting animal back up here and the guys that you see coming yep. up here too. It's uh, you got a nice thing going here. Thank you, man. Thank yeah. you. I how how far has somebody traveled to come to the school? Uh, we had a guy come from Chile, wow. and he came from. Chile, I guess is the pr- pr- proper way to say that. But he came from Chile, and uh, he spent. I think he only had an ESTA visa, uh, or an ESTA. It's not a visa, but it's just you know like a. Chile is one of those countries that we're friendly with, so they, he can come here for ninety days. But at the end of the ninety days, he has to go home. So he had to go home. He ran out of money. You know, he saved up, came here, ran out of money, went back to Chile, and he's coming back now. Really. Next month. And uh, he, he so uh, he took he was only here for a couple months and he went down and he works every single week, several times a week. And he's he just sent me a tape. Actually, I, I watched because 
We also do Skype conversations, Skype, Skype uh, sessions here where we can sit and just watch a match at the same time and pause. It's okay, see what you did here. You should have done this a little differently. Or, you know, just give him my take. And he's improved so much, and he's coming back for round two. So right. that's pretty cool. Yeah, it's a good point, John. Something for the fans to <clears throat> listen to here. <clears throat> if you want to learn how to be a professional wrestler, you know, you, this is a great training school out here, and you got people who are not going to find a better place in the country to learn how to wrestle for sure. I mean, in, Ken and I were talking about this, man. In the spring and summer, this is the most beautiful place in the world. Yeah, Minnesota is great, but uh, but but not only that, it, it's the guys that are teaching you too. You got to have a good quality teacher good quality morals, background, pedigree, the whole thing. That's real important in our wrestling business. There's too many schools out there <clears throat> of guys that have watched Raw and SmackDown and say, oh, I'm going to be a wrestling coach and mm -hmm. don't know anything. And there's a lot of imposters. I call them imposters out there. But here you're going to get good quality training. I'm looking at the setup here, people, and I'm telling you right now, everybody, the thousands that listen to this podcast, if you're interested at all in becoming a professional wrestler, you got to check out the academy in uh, Minneapolis, Minnesota, that's the address. Is Minneapolis, but it's really Brooklyn Center. Yeah, yeah, Brooklyn Park. Brooklyn so. Park. Yeah. So yeah, man, come check it out. Check out Mr. Kennedy, Ken Anderson, and uh, it's a great place. And uh, you, you won't be sorry for sure. That means the that means the world to me to hear that coming from you. It really does. And we've tried to. Uh, you guys set the bar so high. You know, all the guys that came out of Minnesota, and for a while there, there was nobody coming out of there were no you know proper training schools here in the twin cities and we wanted to open it up and one of the greatest things i feel about this facility is that we have guys such as yourself that come through here it's not just you're not just getting one person's take on it because everybody has a different story behind how they were successful in the business and and their failures and and all that stuff you know i remember i remember even myself growing up I, you know i used to bounce at a bar called thumpers out in coon rapids which was really kind of a nutty wild biker bar and uh jumping jim brunzel used to come in there all the time mm. <clears throat> i actually had to escort him out one night <laughs> to be, <laughs> with his face to did be, you to be, no <laughs> I, I said listen man this ain't the AWA. Let me get you out of this bar right now, please. I said please to him, but he wasn't going to say no. I was about 275 pounds at the time, a young, young punk kid at 19. I should wasn't even legal age to bounce, and I was bouncing, you know. But, but you know, the, the school, Vern Gagne's school of wrestling, the AWA Academy was the freaking, was the place to go learn how to wrestle. From um, Kenny Patera to Paul Ellering, our manager, you know, the Iron Sheik, a lot of great stars came out of Vern Gagne's Academy. And you're right, it disappeared for years. Now you have the Academy here, the new Academy, we should say, right? The yeah. new school Academy is what it is. And just looking at the posters on the wall and, and the guys that have come through here, I see the memorabilia on the walls and everything else, man. The people are going to be pretty impressed coming out to this place because it's good to see a great training center open up again because the wrestling business needs this. Yep. It needs to learn facets of the business, needs to have a little bit of old school flavor, new school flavor, and future flavor yep. of where you think it's going to go too. Because this business evolves. Yeah, We're talking about the Raw Rumble. I mean, best match of the night on the Raw Rumble was the Women's Rumble. By far. By far, the Women's Rumble was the best. I got to give my hats off to the ladies 
It was impressive because I wasn't really all impressed a lot of times in the women's division. Yep. But lately, man, it has been kicking butt. They're great. They yeah. really are. And so, you know, the thing is, it, right now is such a cool freaking time to get, get into the wrestling business, to, to be a part of this business. There's so much going on in the world. There isn't just the WWE right now. There is, you know, TNA's going on a little bit, Ring of Honor, New Japan's killing it. Um, you got all this different stuff. And plus, the WWE right now is with the NXT. Like, yeah. they're taking chances with guys, and they're allowing guys to go down and, and figure themselves out and find their little that, that little inner personality that you were talking about earlier. So it's, it's a really cool time to get into business. I know we got to let you go, Ken, but I was hoping uh, because last week – Joe gave his uh his impression. I, I got to hear it. No, I gotta <coughs> Let's hear it. Just go back. It was uh, the last week's episode on the 91 Rumble. He uh, he does it before before we get in. We did a watch along with the 1991 Royal Rumble match mm-hmm. last week. So he does he does it before that. I so. screwed it up because I didn't do the <coughs> double Kennedy. Oh, yeah, I just did the single God. Kennedy. Yeah, so. So you want me to do it? Uh, I'd like you to, if, if we could, if we could, if you could do it for the What a Rush podcast, <laughs> if we could get a promo for that, that'd be, you could you could take it home instead of Joe this week. Yeah, are you sure? Are you sure yeah. about that? All right. Well, ladies and gentlemen, thank you for listening. I am the man from Green Bay, Wisconsin, Mr. Ken. Uh, <laughs> Sorry, guys. <laughs> Mr. Anderson. Anderson. Ah, what a rush. Yeah, awesome. Excellent, <laughs> excellent, excellent. See Kenny, next- thank you, bud. <laughs> thank you, buddy. See you next week. And hey, would you just cut one more? Just a little. I'm Kenny Anderson, Mr. Kennedy. Yep. This is the what is it? St. Louis Podcast Network. Ladies and gentlemen, this is the artist formerly known as Mr. Kennedy, now known as Mr. Anderson, and you're listening to the St. Louis Podcast Network. What?